0: If we have a moment of idle time there where, where materials not available, then that's revenue lost, really. So so they literally had a, a great big giant plastic Coke bottle that they would put right in the center of the work center, whatever the whatever the bottleneck. Now they were they were a custom manufacturer, and what often happens in custom manufacturers is that the, the bottlenecks change over time.
1: Here is your host, Sam Gupta.
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Shop floor scheduling is always the hottest debate in the ERP community. In fact, it is so complex that most SMB companies end up managing their scheduling on spreadsheets. Also, the problems are much worse when multiple systems might be involved in the architecture. They each might claim how inadequate the other system is with no clear consensus on what works when it comes to scheduling. One of the problems often discussed on the root causes of scheduling is the number of exceptions that the shop floor has to manage and the ever-changing nature of the scheduling. So can you ever fully automate shop floor scheduling or would it always require manual interventions? And if scheduling is this hard, how do larger companies manage their plans where the schedule of one plant may impact the other? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss shop floor scheduling best practices. We discussed scheduling issues for different industries and product categories. Finally, we discussed several stories related to scheduling where we discussed concepts such as how web could impact scheduling, why material availability is equally important, and how multiple streams affect shop floor scheduling. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our Digital Transformation Series, for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very exciting and hot topic. It's going to get really hot tonight. Okay, and that is called Scheduling. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I am uh, your host and principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro.
3: Thanks, Sam. Hi, I'm Chris Gerardini. I'm the owner and CEO of Turnkey Technologies. We've been implementing Microsoft Dynamics ERP solutions for 28 years. But I started about eight years before that and back then, schedule was a rock and they chiseled it out of a rock. So looking forward to the conversation.
2: Okay, and We are looking for some creative ways there in what they did there. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Mark, can I move to you next for your intro?
0: Sure. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mark Lilly. I'm president and CEO of LillyWorks. We help manufacturers solve the late problem. And of course, that gets right to the heart of scheduling and to a large degree, material planning, which is material planning should be aligned with scheduling, but that's I'm sure that'll be a subtopic in the conversation. So looking forward to a great hour. And we are going to be
2: discussing if you have figured out any sort of digital rocks, okay, that are going to be part of the scheduling component. So thank you so much for being here, Mark, Dave, Chrysler, and we are going to have day problem today, not just late, okay?
4: So <laughs> Dave, I two, two Daves one. are always better than one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business, working with manufacturing leaders to help them create systems to achieve operational excellence. And one of those things is scheduling. So excited to be here. I come to you with more than 20 years in operations management, uh, having P&L responsibilities for several different facilities. So excited to join the conversation today. Thanks.
2: And a lot of operations management experience here in the room. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Now, Dave Griffith, can I ask you to introduce yourself, Max?
5: Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Sam. Uh, Hello, everyone. My name is Dave Griffith. Uh, I run a company called Kaplan Solutions. We like to focus on what I call sensible digital transformation. So digital transformation in a way that actually means things uh, to your people and to your bottom line. We do a lot of work with operational excellence, and as we're gonna talk about shop floor scheduling, I would almost say the crux of all shop floor problems come from scheduling, uh, at least for anyone listening to us now. So excited to talk about this, Sam.
2: And hopefully today we can talk about uh, sensible scheduling as well. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Bob, can I move to you
6: next for your intro? Absolutely, thanks, Sam. Bob Feathers, I work for Bindable, We are a SaaS provider in the InsureTech space, providing P&C distribution solutions for our clients, but I come here with over 30 years of manufacturing experience, including ERP implementations. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much
2: for being here, Bob. And if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys send your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. If you cannot get to them, then our panelists are going to make sure that you receive your answers on that note I am going to start with Chris with the first question and that is going to be this whole problem of scheduling why is there so much debate about scheduling why is it so hard and if you can layer the industry perspective as well how scheduling differs in different industries that will be super helpful Chris
3: Sure, thanks. Uh, Scheduling is a big topic and it, it impacts a lot. And I think the first thing it says, what am I trying to schedule? Okay, well, you know, there's this customer that wants something and there's this prospective date out here that you want to get it to them. You're like, is that the due date? Well, how did you come up with a due date? You told him you could have it in three weeks. It starts with the sales rep. And now the sales reps out there creating a problem where he's trying to promise something to somebody. And he's like, well, when can I have this? And there's somebody in the back of the building go, I don't know, say three weeks. OK, so that's how it all began. Imagine the problem with that is uh, customer experience, satisfaction. We really don't know. So this is 80s, 90s. Uh, actually, I remember the evolution of a module called Available to Promise, because, again, the sales reps saying saying three weeks, can we get a little more accurate? Hit the button. Oh, it said I can have it in four weeks now. So again, what's the button do? What's it it looking at? How does it know when I can deliver this product? But even before we get into the mechanics of organizing all the people and, and aggregating and consolidating production, there's so much more on the front end than just that front end sales experience. And how do you communicate with the customers? I have no idea when we can get it can't sell it. Fast forward. So technologies have advanced and, and not all the ERP systems have great scheduling applications. There's a lot of bolt-on applications. Um, I've seen some that have evolved and incorporated more and more capability. And But the whole argument is we're, we're trying to allocate resources, people, geogra- geography, work centers, tooling. It's a lot of things. I, you know, We looked at an aircraft. Hey, I got to have a hangar. I got to have the tools, got to have the people before you fly this plane in. So there's a, there's a scheduling concept. We're trying to do project. We're trying to allocate people. So scheduling impacts a lot of things. Um, materials. How do we know that we'll have the materials when we need to do this? And so we think about dates. We think about lead times. We talk about offsets. Um, and there's a lot of data behind how scheduling can even make a portion of the decisions. So let's go back in time. What do we got? We got a wall. There's a wall there. And there's one guy and he's moving stuff around and he wishes they were magnets back then instead of dry race but that's the world that we see and there's and I and if I had a real statistic our eighty percent of the businesses still have a big wall someplace or a board where they're magnets and sticking and moving paper so we know the problem's not perfect and but what we're looking at is, is the automation has evolved again we go back to material planning which impacts scheduling is when can I have materials if I need materials if I have materials do I keep enough materials so that when I get the orders I don't run out of materials so I always have enough materials so even material planning it can impact scheduling and you go back to vendors, vendor lead times, and, and some of those, those particular offsets where if I hit that, when can I have it? Well, if I have no inventory, the first thing I says, well, how quick can I get the inventory? And then when can I start production? And how much labor does it take to make a widget? And how many widgets do you need? And so there's a mathematical calculation that says that from the time you start, it's going to take this long through a standard process. Um, and that's, that's even just, that's, just a simple piece of this thing As these guys behind me are going to say, how complex does it get? And then you get into this, well, am I, am I running a job for him and a job for him? But one of the components is common. How do I combine that and run those together and get efficiencies? So it climbs into a lot more algorithms. And again, a lot of ERP systems don't do that. They do out of the box. You'll hear forward, infinite, backward, infinite. What's that mean? Well, what's my due date? Okay. If I start today, when's it done? If it's due today and I work backwards, when's it done? And then it's manual, you know, this finite scheduling where now I'm going to move it and I'm going to manage it and I'm going to aggregate and, you know, but even as you get into resources and is it, do I manage each work center or do I think of it as a pool? And then I have an individual that's still making human decisions on who gets what that day. So again, the human factor is a huge component today. And again, I, I think I could talk for a while on this, but I've, I've exposed a lot of different pieces of this, but it's people scheduling, it's tooling, it's logistics, so much more. And again, can any system do a hundred percent of it? I don't know. I'm going to hear in a minute, right, guys? Okay. Amazing insights there, Chris,
2: by the way. And uh, I don't know if you are going to have any sort of insights on the comment. So, you know, the I don't know who this user is, but I think he or she has a point where they are trying to say that multiple streams affect shop. And that is true as well. So, do you want to touch this more from oh. the scheduling perspective? What all different streams that you have seen? Chris, are you able to see the comment?
3: Yeah, I'm trying to see. It's, uh, there's one from Scott. Is that what it was? No, no, no.
2: It's uh, the last one. It says multiple streams affect shop. So we are doing
3: multiple streams. And and I think, as you think about what's feeding the shop, is that what we mean? Hey, I got e com orders dropping. I got a sales forecast. I'm doing production planning. I've got some build a stock of sub assemblies. That's exactly correct. And, you know, again, we didn't even talk about what impacts the schedule. I was using the example, hey, it's a sales order. When can I have it? That's one transaction. As you get into master planning and you get into more complex, how do I plan my schedule where I'm not waiting for an order to show up to say, okay, guys, let's get busy. Let's start making stuff. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. But streams can be, and again, sub assemblies, it could be. Uh, it could be sales orders, again, The build of stock. It could be other orders that are replenishment orders. It could be planning for a forecast. So again, to that point, and I'm, I'm assuming that's what you mean by multiple streams, but correct. A great ERP like Dynamics, the big one I sell that's really expensive, does a great job of all that stuff and combining all those things. But you're correct. There's a lot of streams. and And then you get into work centers and types of machines and capacities per machine, you got a lot of complexities just on the shop floor that a lot of ERP systems, you got to factor in so many details behind work centers, machines, efficiencies. Oh, we forgot about that one. Um, labor, labor shortages, single teams, two teams, concurrent processing versus serial processing. We talked about nesting last week. That, again, there's a lot of things that can impact how do I schedule. So okay,
2: amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, Chris. Nice. So Mark, I'm actually going to come to you, and uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you are going to have a little history lesson there. So we are waiting for that. That's going to be number one, and then I don't know. I mean, see, you are probably going to have perspective on this comment as well when you talk about multiple streams. I'm pretty sure this user is probably referring to the streams on the shop floor itself. So do you want to touch on the comment as well as uh, the history lesson?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's there's so much to talk about. Um, And and Chris is absolutely right. There's uh, there's a ton of complexity to uh, to scheduling. So much so that it's um, it's it's actually impossible to create the optimal schedule. Okay. And what 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 do I mean by that in mathematics and in computer science? There is such a thing as as what's called an NP complete problem. And it's very simply uh, a problem that is not solvable by even the most expensive, biggest computer in the world, given thousands of years. Okay, And what's interesting is even a simple algorithm such as the traveling salesman algorithm, where you have, you know, a number of cities a salesman needs to visit. Right. And the distances between each. What's the what's the most important, uh, you know, what's the shortest path? That type of problem, as simple as that sounds, is unsolvable. Now think of a problem as complex as multiple jobs, multiple machines, people, resources, and that optimal path? Forget about it. That's impossible too. And don't believe me, just, just go to Wikipedia, look up job shop scheduling or the job shop problem. And if you're interested, it's outlined there. If you're, if you're interested in the idea of NP completeness, there's actually a movie called The Traveling Salesman that came out in 2012. It's a little funky, but it talks about this, this problem. And what if somebody were actually able to solve NP completeness? And, you know, forget about scheduling. We're talking about the the algorithms that have all the security of all the governments in the world. In any event, it's kind of interesting. Finite scheduling, the traditional finite scheduling model came out of MRP essentially. So MRP was invented in the 60s and 70s, wonderful advance. Now you had a bill of materials and you could see what you needed to make when, right? Then the question became, can I do that, right? So can I take all these orders that MRP has created and actually do it? Do I have, will I have the capacity in production to actually do these orders that MRP is telling me to do. Again, for the computers back then, even that was a tough problem. And so the first cut at that was rough cut capacity planning, which is essentially infinite planning, not not taking into consideration the fact that you only have five machines, you don't have 500, you only have three people who could do the job, not 300, right? So that's now finite, A little later as the computers got better, now you could do finite capacity scheduling, but there again, it was, it was based on uh, this model of, can I, can I actually, with the capacity I have, can I get these things out? So a backward scheduling says, so there's, there's typically backward finite, forward finite. Backward says, let's assume, let's plan on finishing the last operation of every work order the day it's due, right? When you think about it like that, It's crazy. Production is just so dynamic. Would you actually want to plan on finishing the last operator the day it's due? No, I'd want to plan on finishing a week or two or maybe a month before. So because I know all sorts of stuff is going to happen to that job while it's in WIP. Similarly, and on the other side, you have forward finite scheduling. The issue with forward is it tends to tell the user to start jobs ASAP as soon as possible. What's wrong with that? Well, if I'm starting all my jobs as soon as possible, then I'm flooding WIP with work and slowing everything down. I, now I'm really impeding flow. Whatever job is out there, it's going to take a long time to get through. And folks who are doing this tend to have, they're, they're the production environments that tend to have the expediters, right? Because I need I need somebody to get out there and actually push this job through. All the other hundreds of jobs that are being trying to be worked on in WIP. Okay. So there's actually a mathematical relationship with how much WIP you have in production relative to the wait times that each of those jobs is experiencing in each work center. And it's very simple. The less WIP you have, and if you think about, think about the extremes. If I only had one job in WIP, Well, there wouldn't be any wait time at all. It would just go from resource to resource to department to department and get done. If I've got thousands of jobs in WIP, you can imagine any any job in particular is going to wait a long time for its turn at that resource. So there needs to be a method to have a balance. You don't want to starve WIP and only have one or two jobs out there, obviously, but you don't want to have thousands of jobs out there either and flood WIP with things that aren't ready to be worked on. And that's really the big component that's ske- the scheduling models in that you find from traditional uh, finite scheduling. That's really one of the big concepts that's missing is how do we control the, the amount of WIP in production so that we can maximize the rate of flow of material and flowing those jobs through production in the best way possible. So it's a balance between not wanting to starve the, the machines or the resources we're already paying for to do the work and on the flip side, not having too much.
2: Okay. Amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Mark, for those. So I am going to touch on one of the comments that you made and uh, we are going to dig a little deeper there. Okay. So when you talk about the job shop and, you know, job shop, when I think about the job shop, these are going to be 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, 50 million dollar uh probably companies and one of the layers that you touched is you know for scheduling to work obviously you need to have the material at the right place for even your scheduling to work everything needs to be in balance even though balance word you use in a different context so here when we are looking at these job shops the way they work at least in my experience they don't understand the inventory in my experience okay and when i say they don't understand inventory their inventory process is going to be hey i have a job now i'm going to be working on this job now i'm going to call my vendors get my inventory back to the shop and then i'm going to figure out okay how i'm going to produce this okay so how are they working on the scheduling when they don't understand inventory how are they able to schedule in their shop do you have any insight there by any chance
0: Yeah. uh, Thank you. And and by the way, I'm, you know, I say I focus mostly or I say job shop because in my mind, that's the from a scheduling standpoint, that's the more complex version. You know, oftentimes folks who are doing a lot of repeat work or doing or certainly just like, you know, doing repetitive work, oftentimes they can they can schedule easily on spreadsheets. Right. And it's it's just the the job to where it's complex. I believe most the majority of manufacturers today in North America are. Are make to order in some fashion, some fashion of high mix, oftentimes low volume. So that so I job shop is kind of an extreme of that. But to your point, um, in a in a job shop or even engineer to order, right, very complex one offs, um, uh, and and whether it's that or even a make to stock environment, material availability is key. Now in the case where you're purchasing those materials. For a particular job rather than having it in inventory, that's key too. that's probably even more, you know, more of a constraint. So I think Chris touched on this earlier as well, because if you if you don't, you can have the best priorities in the world. Right. And the best uh, idea of how you want to flow work through the shop. But if you don't have the materials, there's no way you can execute on that. So having material visibility is key. Now, material visibility in a job shop or engineer to order certainly is basically, number one, do I have the PO out there for the material, right? And if I do, when is it coming in? But the when is it coming in can be tricky, too. It's, you know, how much do you believe the the lead time that, that your supplier gave you, right? And do you, do you want to put any any buffer in that, so to speak, right? So.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. So Dave Chrysler, I am coming to you. And uh, now that we all have the PhD degree uh, from <laughs> Professor Lilly, you know, <laughs> let's talk street, man. You know, that's what I, I like to talk about. <laughs> so let's talk about the real problems when if we think about the scheduling. And obviously, you have been there, done that, right? And you have been in a lot of different job shops. So do you want to touch more from the, maybe take a layer of the industry how many different industries are going to be there and how their scheduling is going to differ?
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, d- you know, a couple of points that came up between Chris and Mark um, that that I think tie all of that together from the job shop perspective. And in really any industry that, you know, kind of fits into that type of bucket, like like Mark mentioned, right. Um, you know, kind of that uh, low volume, high configurability uh, type of products that that people are manufacturing. Um but, you know, Mark had brought up about some of the bottlenecks that are created and really the first bottleneck uh, that Chris mentioned was customer service, right? Like, let's talk about not only the promise date, but what's the rate that those orders are hitting production to even be scheduled, right? So that's that's a challenge, uh, especially given the kind of high configurability nature of some of those types of manufactured Uh, So that's, you know, one challenge that I've seen before it even hits production scheduling. And then especially lately, you know, you've got a lot of complexity with the material availability, material substitutions that are happening. Print manufacturing, I've, I've got a long history with that and still have a lot of ties into that space. And their current raw material availability is being impacted by a lot of, you know, kind of traditional and non-traditional factors, I would I would, I would, would classify them as. And so there's a ton of substitutions happening that are happening last minute. So, you know, you get a job into the schedule, let's say you've got your resources planned out, and then you get a call from your suppliers saying, not only is there a delay, but there's going to be a substitution, which then sends your order out of schedule, back up back upstream if you will to communicate that and kind of starts the process all over again so you've got a lot of to to both Chris and Mark's point there's a lot of things kind of outside of just the scope of shop floor scheduling that are ultimately going to impact that schedule uh, no matter what tool you use no matter you know if it's a software solution technology it's it's within your ERP it's standalone no matter if it's a big giant board no matter if it's chiseled in stone to Chris's point right? none of that stuff really matters it really comes down to the process and the flow of those particular orders and 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 kind of the bumps in the road which is why from my experience and what i see time and time again is that you've got somebody with a a a significant amount of, of deep vertical industry experience that's the person pushing the buttons That's moving the magnets on the board. That's, you know, uh, dealing with the spreadsheet. That's dealing with the standalone, uh, you know, solution. And the real challenge and, you know, way to solve that problem is to take some of those parameters that come from that person's decision-making ability, put them into a process, and then try to find a tool that supports that process. That's, That's really where I've seen the best scheduling come together is by doing those things and I think Mark kind of made the point like there is no perfect system for that it really is a moving target because you have so many variables you have variables that some of the other processes don't really take into account so I'll stop there I'm sure Dave and Bob uh, and everybody else are going to have a ton of additional insights to share so
2: So amazing insights there, Dave. And I am going to touch on one of the things which is going to be the tool argument that you mentioned. And my assumption is going to be the tool is probably going to be a drawing board because that's the most powerful tool ever created for scheduling. We all know this. And here we are talking about NP complete. OK, and we are talking about getting PhD. So how is this PhD being managed on a board? Can you educate me for scheduling?
4: Well, it's going to, you know, from my standpoint, it's obviously going to depend on the, on the volume that is running through there, right? If you've got a significant amount of work in process, you're you're going to be uh, hard pressed to manage that on a board. Uh, so, you know, to contradict myself slightly, yes, the tools do matter, but. The tools matter after the process is really, you know, documented and dialed in and figured out what, where some of those variables fall in and what some of the constraints are that you're dealing with. And what I see, whether we're talking about scheduling or more broadly digital transformation, is this thought process that the technology is going to save the day when we don't have a clear understanding of what the business processes are. So I, it's kind of the way that I look at it. And that's, that's how I go about it. it's. it's It's what I've seen to be the most successful.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So Dave Griffith, I'm actually coming to you. And when you talk about sensible digital transformation, my Mm -hmm. assumption is going to be you are talking about transforming that board, okay? So maybe you want to touch about the scheduling from the industry perspective. I don't know what you have seen, if you have had any sort of different experiences in the industries that you have worked in. What has been your experience when it comes to scheduling?
5: Absolutely. So I would say that in the facilities that I've worked, that have very good scheduling generally everything runs exceptionally well uh there are very few people who end up calling me when they've got good scheduling because they run well most of the time i talk with people and work with facilities that have poor scheduling whether they know that they at the core have a scheduling issue or they know at the core that they have other issues i think going back to kind of dave and mark's previous points in, in my opinion, what I've seen, everything is all about process and flow, right? So if the process and all of the work materials flow easily through the line, then the facility works very well. And most of the other wrinkles end up uh, kind of coming out uh, as, as long as we are moving forward in that. Uh, A couple of other things that I've seen is generally most facilities have too much work in progress. Uh, Work in progress, uh, especially if we're doing made-to-order, in most instances is going to be the downfall of them. I have worked with facilities who do a fair amount of custom uh, made to order items, and they've got nineteen weeks of uh, of work in progress in the in the middle of their process and there's no way you're ever going to be able to expedite or get something out with any uh reasonable reliable uh, relief time. We also kind of touched upon the inventory. I find that many facilities have too much inventory or have too much of the wrong inventory for what they are going to make and uh generally we, we tend to buy up more and more inventory without kind of asking ourselves why we buy this inventory. And that also causes uh that also causes issues as we go to uh go to look to work forward. So typically when I go in uh we don't focus on a particular tool. It's more we, we focus on the process, right? So if we're running uh items through machines or through machine machine centers, how much and how long does every item or every family of items take in order to go run through those machines and those machine centers? And then we've got some semblance of an idea of how long it takes us to actually process that. And then how much of those items do we actually have in stock versus how much of those items do we need to order in specifically from customers um, or I'm sorry, from vendors? Uh, If we've got to order them in from vendors, they are going to take a longer lead time to, uh, to come in. And depending upon how long they, they take to come in, that is the general basis of what we should go and quote a customer of, hey, it's going to take X amount of time to be able to, to go push through that. Uh, additionally, uh, Chris brought up a couple of really good points, right? So having everything available when you need to start the order, from knowing how long things are going to take to raw materials and all of that, I have kind of come to, to call that full kit. And in the couple of instances where I have gone to, to implement, again, what, what I would call full kit. It significantly reduces the friction and the things that we have to do either before the run, stopping it, or during the run, slowing the uh, slowing the entirety of the process down. Uh, again, I find that most things that facilities do to alleviate those problems uh, that we would generally find relatively minor are going to significantly increase their, their throughput. And if we understand, uh, to to Mark's point, what the scheduling constraint is and we schedule for the constraint, then we're going to be able to go and flow through the schedule, again, thus alleviating most of the problems. Uh, I guess in in my experience, I have seen people do everything from uh, boards to digital boards, to specific tools. Um, in fact, Sam, about a year and a half ago, right as lumber was was cresting at its highest point, I had a client uh, pull out an old sheet of plywood. And Sam, I looked at him and I'm like, guys, we could sell this piece of plywood and we could build you a digital board for the same cost. <laughs> oh <my> so, <laughs> yes, so, so, so th- th- there are many different op- options and opportunities of the tools to use. I, I am certainly not. Uh, I'm certainly not committed to any one particular tool. I think it is all very much kind of dependent upon the facility. And I don't, uh, to to Mark's point, I think to to most everyone's point, I'm not sure a perfect tool. For every facility uh, exists
2: okay amazing insights there and love the creativity about replacing those tools with the digital tools and the cost that you are mentioning so i think i'm going to touch on one of the comments that you made and this comment from the user is related to that as well so i think you mentioned that you had a lot of different web and then you also mentioned that you know that material is actually flowing through the shop so i probably would need a little bit more information there. Why did these companies have this much WIP? And again, the user is also trying to ask the same question that were they lean shop, if they were lean shop, okay, how is that going to layer in? Why would they have so much WIP if they are going to be a lean shop?
5: Yeah, so uh, the what I see is most facilities that have a lot of WIP, their goal is to keep their people busy, right? So they consider their people and their resources Um, the the number one thing that they need to schedule, right? And so their thought is if I've got one person and they're running four machine centers, I need to keep this one person running, you know, 24 hours or eight hours a day. And all of these machine centers is up as much as possible. Uh, It very much is a transformation shift of instead of keeping the people busy, it's a we need to flow the material through the process, even if we take some time where we are not actively working on an item uh again to kind of to mark's point and not to drive us down the constraint conversation for i don't know the, the next 40 hours sam um conceptually if we can understand what the constraint is in the process our goal should be to never stop the constraint from being able to to go ahead and run material uh, so I, I do a lot of work in the food and beverage industry they almost exclusively have the design constraint of a filler, right? So the, the filler fills whatever you're filling, be it peanut butter or beer or bottles of water or anything in between. And so the entire line should be designed to to, to make sure that we always have enough uh, empty containers to go through the filler, so the filler never stops. And then at the back end, we should always be able to package at a higher rate than the filler is filling, so we never take the filler down, right? So so that that's a very kind of simple example, and then everything else in the process should be based around getting the raw materials to the beginning of the filler and taking the finished goods away from the end of the filler um, so that we are never taking down the the line in and of itself. Uh, So I find a lot of people are, again, are kind of focusing on how can I keep my people busy as opposed to how can we more appropriately uh, run The uh, run the flow of materials uh, through the the shop into the the LinkedIn user. Um, I I see very little, I see very kind of few facilities that are lean. Lean isn't one of those things that that I won't drive us into. I I see a lot of people using lean as in cost cutting. Lean itself shouldn't be looked at as a cost cutting thing. It shouldn't be how much money can I go pull out. Lean is much more a kind of waste. So waste of movement, waste of machine movement, waste of people. Uh, And I see very few kind of groups and organizations doing lean in the, uh, you know, a a la Toyota production system uh, style lean uh, when we talk about that.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Uh, So Bob, I'm actually going to come to you and this is going to be the perspective about the industry, what you have seen in your experience when it comes to scheduling. Bob. Okay. So Bob is actually running into the challenges. So I am probably going to come to Chris again for any of these stories that you might have related Absolutely. to scheduling.
3: I've got some good ones. And so, you know, I was sitting here thinking while everybody's talking, is just understanding the, the differences in scheduling challenges based on the type of uh, replenishment model you have, meaning we build a stock, we sell from stock. It's a little different they're taking customer orders, filling from stock It gives you a whole different perspective versus the job shops versus the engineer to order versus the, the on-demand where you're building to order example. But, um, you know, one of the scenarios I'll use is one of these clients that does build the stock, but they have seasonality and, and the problem and, and, and the solution is you think about, um, Planning forecast, meaning which which forecast am I doing? Can I have more than one? The answer is yes. We've got some capability where we can take a plan. We can take master plan one, for example, and run it. And maybe that picks up all the, the min-maxes and all the open sales order demand. And great. And hey, we've used 40% of our capacity. Well, what do I do with the other sixteen percent Well, let's get the next plan. Run it and maybe this is a different level of a forecast where we're building some extra stock. Now I'm at 80% of my capacity consumed. And in their example, they're gener- they're building furnaces and fireplaces and stuff. So the problem was in the fall, overtime. So so you run into this problem where we're underutilized in the summer, we're overutilized in the fall. And so how do we crush the overtime, shift production? And so what goes into that? And it's not all automated, right? Cuz then we start with um you know how much inventory I need. How much cash do I have? Volumetrically, do I have enough warehouse space if I build all the stock that I can store it? So, but as you think about reworking a forecast, and it's a longer-term forecast. Yes, I say we got to take care of the first forecast. Do we have such a concept as a second? not all systems support multiple forecasts. There may be just one you run one, but there is segmentation, but again that second tur and the third is now now i 'm building fall inventory in the summer, and so the ability to have the analytics where you 've defined your capacities very essentially in terms of routes and and work centers and so forth and finite capacity right but there's a lot of work in defining capacity such that when the system does the math they can tell that hey you still got a little capacity or you have no capacity um in the old days infinite it's it assumed you had infinite capacity but but there's an example where the the real solution wasn't looking at breaking the forecast down and looking at what's the primary what's secondary and what's that optimistic one where if we've got capacity we start building the stock doesn't work like that for the people that, I don't know what my next order is, and they don't really want to build a lot of inventory. But when you're building to a forecast, there are some efficiencies there. And again, the overtime challenge, because what happens is in the fall, man, my product costs so much more to make than if I build the off season. So so this is all about margin preservation, and it goes beyond scheduling. But again, the other, the other aspect of that scheduling, they're building to a forecast, right? Are there due dates? Yeah, there's not due dates, right? we got plenty of stock. Anybody who orders, they're going to get taken care of. It's almost a separation between the customer service. As long as, you know, we've got our min-maxes, we've got our lead times, we never run out of stock, right, in the perfect world. Um, the production schedules have a different world to plan for. They really do. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll leave those comments. And, but the the overtime one was a big deal for these guys.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for those comments. And Bob, I don't know if you're able to speak right now. You know, I'll uh, come to you first for your commentary related to the industry that we were discussing. You want to touch
6: on those? I'm back. Yeah, kind of every so often seemed like in for uh, bad timing. When you went to me, I was like, and my Internet's gone. Yeah, so many things to build on. I guess I'm going to choose like kind of two areas to talk about. One is kind of just, again, is going back to the first piece, which is the process. I mean, you, you, you just, you really have to know your process. And it might be that one guy, hopefully it's more than one guy, but it's really getting that process and understanding the process, the products, the capacity, the, you know, what you can do, how a product moves through your facility, right? And just really understand it, doing the analytics and knowing all the background of what you know, all the products you're making and how it goes to your plan. And what are the, what are the things or challenges you're having there? From the success side, I'll kind of share kind of what David touched upon some things is, one of the things that's important as you're building now this plan or as you build your shop resources is can you differentiate your product lines depending on what you're making. So I, I came from the print industry where we were making essentially at the end of the day, six products, right? Now they're all make to basically assemble to order, which means we were making a certain type of product for most of our clients. So most of the product inventory was around right so we kind of knew what to have around but there's always going to be those one-offs The kind of the one client that has that material that you don't want to stock a lot of so you'd be kind of you know hoping you get some forecasts mm-hmm. from the salespeople to tell you when they might get the order from that guy so you're trying to kind of balance that of what i'm going to keep around versus what i might need to get and trying to make sure i get good timing but what you're trying to do is if i can identify those products is can i have lines Right, can I have lines through my plant and say, these machines are produced in this line and these machines are produced in this line. And now maybe you have shared resources versus unique resources. So in some cases, in the plant I worked in, we had some shared resources were all in the beginning. So you had these shared resources like printing, right? Everything went to the printing press and then it kind of went out in the plant. And then you start to get to, and it was trying to understand where the differentiation point is, of those lines, and then creating those unique lines to say, these machines are dedicated to these lines. So it's easier to manage than those processes, because you knew what your capacity was for those machines, and they weren't necessarily shared resources. You could then go so far on the on the Dave, you know, point of people, is I don't have to have business to run all six lines all the time. So maybe I staff to have three lines, but I have people that are cross-trained to basically like, okay, any given day I'm going to have at least three lines to run. So I would just I just have the right amount of people. Just went on, oh, run line A and line D. And run tomorrow, run C and E because I've got different orders coming in. So again, trying to find success there. But the other that thing that's really important is as you're building these resources, making sure you have you know that kind of that a match throughput, that you've matched these machines to have the, that kind of throughput. Because if you have a machine that produces a million a day, and the mach- next machine in line can only do a hundred thousand a day, well, you've got a problem. You either need to tone down the first machine or you need to get more machines on the other end. So you, you got to figure out how to tune your your plant floor so that product is moving through it in a, in a kind of that the machines you line up. So if I need one thing does a million and these two things can do 500 each. And the next thing I have four machines that are doing 250 each, but whatever I need to do, I want to make sure I have some level loading that I, my product can go through and flow through the plant because that's going to help you reduce your whip. That's a good thing. Your whip is if you don't have the right throughput and I've seen this all the time, right? Where you have this um, solo person says, We're gonna buy the best punching press. This thing is amazing. I love it. It's I'm gonna get rid of three three staff. I'm gonna you know, get I'm gonna reduce my overhead, reduce the amount of people I need by this buying this one machine. I was like, okay, that's great, but everything in front of it can't get things there fast enough to fill that machine. So what do I do? Right? <laughs> and so then it was kind of like the Henry Ford model. He's like, Well, what I'll do is I'll send those people to the beginning of the line. And all I'll do for the first two days is make all the product and stick it in front of the machine. And then day three, they go down to machine three and then they they run that machine. So you could do it that way again if you're that if you're that sophisticated and kind of move your staff around, they're all trained on all the machines. So there's lots of different ways to approach it. But again, really going back to the process and understanding your process, understand the equipment. Um, you can have success. Uh, I think if you have so go back to Dave's point, if you know all that and you kind of know the ins and outs and you go to the provider and say, Do you have these types of things? Does your machine you know, does your ERP system do these things? Can I set my machine up capacity like this? Can I do this? Can I have uh, you know the movement from material to material? You have all the tools you need necessary. Um and, and you can find it, but you know, you got to find that guy and you got to get that stuff out of that guy's head and into the, into the machine.
2: Okay. So some very interesting insights there. And I would like to touch a little bit more on the shared resources comment that you mentioned. And I don't know how planning is going to be hard around shared resources. So do you want to touch a little bit more in terms of how to plan around them?
6: Yeah. So again, in an ideal world, if you're doing it right, you have these lines. So you have these six lines of products, right? And you have the differentiation point, which is past the shared resource of let's say printing it in our case it was printing gathering and lamination those three basically operations did all every kind of shared everything was going through there and then once it went to punching right once it kind of that was its differentiation point so that's where the line started so if all you're doing there is going back to kind of dave's point is you can go straight up kanban so you know kind of really the, the traditional you really want to pull right a lot of reasons you have whip is because you're pushing you just go, okay, I got an order and just print, just go and you just push. You just push stuff in the plant and then let them figure out where to go. But if you're truly in the pull, you're basically saying, okay, I know how long this particular product. So line A takes three weeks. So I know in that line that I need to get that one started first. And then I know that line you know, D, whatever, only takes two weeks. Those products are quicker. So you can go back to the shared resource and kind of have those those buckets basically of all the lines and say, hey, make sure there's a certain amount of material in this bucket so that they can kind of continue to run and, you know, and, and don't find them empty because all of a sudden, you know, so, you know, the kind of line D is going to the printing press saying, Hey, I need more D stuff, you know, print more, but it's kind of not at printing. It's really at lamination. But again, your idea is that that differentiation point is pulling, is kind of going and telling them and sending the signal. So you have a kind of a master plan, but you're really trying to do that pull system in an ideal world. And, and the idea is that when you pull is you're, you're going to produce that part right? you're going to bring it through your plant and do it. So you don't end up lots of whip. Uh, you're just kind of bringing those orders through, even though you can have, and I've done it with 200 orders, you know, 200, 400 orders. You can do it with lots of orders, not saying it's a one order shop. But again, you need to have some of those tools in place. Some are just pretty basic visual, just, you know, like that kind of Kanban. Fill that hole, make sure that hole's at least got two things in it. And those keep, you know, make sure that if you go and say, oh, line B, and you just go to the, and you have the work orders for line B, and you just go and print another one. Because printing is fast. I'll just kind of re- reset it and keep going. Okay,
2: amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, Bob. So Mark, I'm actually coming to you for any stories that you might have related to scheduling that you have seen where you have seen real problems.
0: Sure. So um kind of to Dave G's point um about constraints or or bottlenecks, what's what's interesting is is the um uh, well we we had this one customer who kind of got grasped onto that concept and and said, we're going to we're going to track that and do just like Dave said, we're going to do the best we can to always keep material in front of that, because we, we know that's our constraint. But, you know, how much we can get through the facility is based on that single machine or work center. Right. So that's controlling. So if if we have a moment of idle time there where, where materials not available, then that's revenue lost, really. So so they literally had a, a great big giant plastic Coke bottle. That they would put right in the center of the work center, whatever the whatever the bottleneck. Now they were they were a custom manufacturer, and what often happens in custom manufacturers is that the the bottlenecks change over time, right? Depending upon your your, product, your orders mix and and what have you. Um, what what also happens when there's when when you're in this facility, you know, you're in the mode where you you don't know when to start job, you don't know the right time to start jobs. Per what we're talking about here, you, you don't want to start them too early. So you're flooding whip. And obviously, you know, if, if I were a production manager, I wouldn't want to start jobs too late because you don't want to risk uh, the lateness factor. So um, but where where you are sending things out it prematurely and you've got a lot of whip. What often happens is your bottlenecks. Uh, you have multiple bottlenecks and they change on a day to week to week or day, day to day basis. What we find is when we go in and implement this approach where where WIP is reduced in very short order, um, the real bottleneck is exposed. And and oftentimes folks are, you know, the the company is stymied by, you know, it's a gee, we, we knew it was this machine right over here. So we'd always make sure there was material and when and finally, when they got their release points in control and they and WIP started to drop to a manageable level to improve the flow through. All of a sudden, it was it was the paint department, right, that was the real bottleneck now.
2: Okay, amazing story there. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. So, Dave, I'm actually coming to you for uh, your story, Dave Chrysler.
4: Yeah, thanks, Sam. And I, w- I wanted to touch on something that Bob had said, too, because I think this would be something good for people to, to kind of contemplate uh, back to his example about kind of, Looking at your scheduling from a, a kind of a line perspective versus saying, you know, hey, we're we're a custom job shop manufacturer. That could be a real challenging mind shift because when, you know, people in those types of environments, when they look at it kind of, even if they've been in there forever, it's kind of like, no, everything that we do is is super unique. Every order is totally different, different quantity, different, you know, accessories, different processes that it has to run through, work centers that it has to run through. And so the challenge there is to really... Take that upper level look, you know, rise up to that 30,000 foot look and see if there are some like things with the orders that are coming through your production floor to see if that is a, a you know, kind of a, a, an ab- ability that you have uh, to be able to schedule in that manner because it, it really can impact the things that you're doing. So I just wanted to throw that out there that it really is a mindset shift. Uh, you know, from an operations management standpoint uh, to to kind of uh, be able to to look at that. In terms of stories, uh, you know, lot, lots to choose from, honestly, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. And, uh, you know, I, I would say one of the stories that comes to mind is and kind of a cautionary tale again, right? Like we talked about being able to tap into the people that really have a deep understanding of of. Uh, the schedule as it is today, a deep understanding of the process and what I've seen happen in some relatively large environments. So, you know, um, a custom manufacturer producing, you know, two to three hundred orders per day and that department kind of ends up being its own constraint because they keep all of that movement, uh, you know, within the system, within the tool, they keep all of that to themselves themselves and kind of really handcuff the rest of the production flow. So all of the things that we're talking about it's it's ultra important to even if there is a tool in place, even if you've gone through and gotten that deep understanding that you're spreading that out and so people understand, you know, what Part of their process they're doing that's going to ultimately impact that flow to keep things moving, uh, to keep that information flowing out to customers, to be able to handle things like, you know, rest schedules or, you know, raw material not coming in or substitution, all of those types of things. So that that would be kind of a bit of a cautionary tale for people, um, you know, to be mindful of of who is doing those processes and how deeply involved they are versus other people on the team and and who ultimately has all of the kind of uh, keys to that particular part of the process and can, can move jobs around. So.
2: Okay. Amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So Dave, I'm actually coming to you, Dave, for your story.
5: Absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Uh, I will make one comment to to Mark's point about uh, customers or clients uh, assuming that they have the correct constraint. Uh, very rarely do, uh, do I find that they they typically get it right. And then if you don't get it right, you start choking releases and, and reducing WIP, you're just going to cause uh, lots of other problems. Doing it correctly, uh, scheduling on the constraint, I don't think that there's a better way to do it. Doing it incorrectly can and will cause catastrophic business problems. Uh, I, I will I will kind of leave it at that. Um, And then to to a story. So uh, kind of talking about scheduling on the constraint and and reducing uh, work in progress. So I I worked with a group. uh, We were working with a company that makes hand tools, right? So so they make hand tools and you you go in and they had something like $5 million of work in progress uh, on the floor. They were like 19 or 20 weeks of work in progress on the floor, big rolling bins of A variety of different types of metal pieces of hand tools and they for the they were getting orders coming in every day from major box stores and they for the life of them had no chance about being able to actually produce those orders and ship them out uh they they had the issue of they were paying a number of different groups kind of piecemeal so that the people that forged the items they would forge the items you know if you need 200 of them they're going to forge 10,000 because they get paid to forge based upon those numbers. And they're always going to pick the easiest ones first. And without any sort of kind of constructive scheduling, they were going to forge the most they possibly could as quickly as they possibly could, because that's how they got paid. And that's how 20, 25 years later, you end up with $5 million of the wrong work in progress uh, on the floor. So Exceptionally long story short, we go through the process of basically getting rid of virtually all work in progress on the floor. They had a a group or a tool that had come in that had put bins and work in progress locations. They took up like 30 percent of the facility in with like uh, taped out work in progress uh, locations. And we we won't name names to uh, to kind of talk about the not so innocent um, in this in this story. But kind of long story short, we, we went and we helped right size the work in progress. We went and helped schedule into a, uh, a pull scheduling uh, to, to Bob's point, as opposed to let me just push out whatever I possibly can. We did a little bit of, of work basically on the constraint, and they went from 19 or 20 weeks of lead time to, to four days on the product that they that was kind of their biggest selling product was a little harder no one could make it the fastest but they went to four days and were able to go and and hit customer orders and uh, and, and customer demands and a lot of that was just kind of the, the nuts and bolts of understanding how long everything takes and removing the wrong things um, and, and making sure that we're focused on the right things. Uh, they were one of those customers that, that uh, were they were scheduling on that uh, on a piece of plywood uh, w- when we got there. The, the, well, actually, no. They, they started scheduling on the piece of plywood. They went away from scheduling on the plywood, and the piece of plywood brought us to four days. J- just think how fast we could have gone if we used a real tool. I mean, I bet we're two and a half days on Excel and nearly instant if we have like a a, a, a nicer, uh, more robust tool.
2: Okay, amazing insights. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Bob, I'm actually coming to you for your story.
6: So, you know, one of the stories, right, is is just setting the system up right, and you know, have these one area where they just don't have the right numbers in there, and they're always going like, "Why are we behind? Why am I always late? Why am I always late?" And because what they put in the system was basically these false dreams of what they could do. So the schedule kept saying like, "Well, you know, you said you could do a million a day." But you effectively only do 500,000 a day. But the system keeps thinking you do a million a day. So it just keeps putting all the orders in there and say, go do it. And every week, you're like, why are we so behind? Why are we so behind? So again, it's going back to this foundational thing of really understanding what's going on. And it's very, you know, again, the schedule won't take long to tell you when things are wrong. And that's kind of the the whole point behind it is if you don't have the right thing, you know, things just aren't working. The schedule, you're always behind or always working overtime or something's always out of whack. Then you've got to go back in and see what you have set up. And you've got to be realistic to be honest with yourself because i had this again with the ceo i said he said uh this machine i said this is what we run we run 500 an hour he said no way we bought that machine and it runs 1500 an hour that's what it runs and you know, i said that's all well and good but i'm looking at 18 months worth of data and it runs at 500 hours so that's what we need to tell our, like that's how we need to build our plan because if you do it any other way You're going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll get that next week. It's like, no, you won't, because not at 500 an hour. You won't get it out next week. But again, if you have these kind of false hopes or false dreams of what you think it should do, and you don't don't believe in it, and you put those numbers in, you'll always be failing.
2: Okay, amazing insight there, Bob. Thank you so much for that. So, Chris, the only thing we can take right now
3: is going to be the closing advice. What would be your closing advice? The devil's in the details. So what we haven't talked about is all these underlying data points that drive accuracy and I'll just rattle through a few but even per vendor per product how long does it take from the time he ships it to get to your door a little bitty buffer before and after if you go into and scheduling is all premised on that material scheduling is huge because it'll screw everything else up but as you go into manufacturing scheduling and you think about your bill of material anything you about your routings and your operations oh let's back up calendar do I have a shop calendar down days up days what's my macro calendar then you take that calendar, you apply it to people, you apply it to work centers, you've got maintenance schedules. So you're defining capacity might grow very, very detailed. And then you get into the routings that are premised on top of machines and work centers and people. And how long does it take to run one part? Is there an overlap? Is there concurrency? There's a lot of data points and the precision of those is imperative. Or as Bob was saying, wow, we're off. Why do we keep missing? Nobody did the homework, and it's iterative. There's a, In engineering, there's a box. Inputs, outputs, and there's always a feedback loop, which means collect the data, adjust the standards. How are we doing? How are we doing? Are we absorbing all of the labor in the shop? Adjust, adjust. So again, the details are imperative to get accuracy. And the other thing I'll say is it's not going to do 100%. Get as much as you can out of automation, and then there's still going to be people in the process. And I think everybody might agree with that or argue with me. Thanks, everybody. Okay, amazing! Thank you so much for that, Chris.
2: Uh, Mark, what would be your closing advice, please?
0: Yeah, so drawing from some other uh, comments, um, really, there's there's three three principles to to address the you know why folks or most companies struggle with scheduling, and that is essentially um, focusing on and uh, acknowledging and anticipating variability that happens in production. You can't you can't use just static data and assume things are going to work that way. You have to anticipate variability in in the processes and to Chris's point, the materials. You have to control the level of whip in production. And then finally, one thing we just didn't have time to talk about, but you need to use the right priority. Due due date is not it. Due date will have you working on the things that are due earlier rather than that job that needs more work, has to go outside and back twice, is due in two months that needs your attention now. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that,
2: Mark. Dave, Chrysler, what would be your closing advice, please?
4: Yeah, I mean, kind of like everybody else has said, you know, from my standpoint, it's uh, different shops are going to require different levels of kind of, uh, you know, accuracy and involvement when it comes to scheduling. So kind of start with where you're at, understand what the constraints are, understand what your resources look like. And look at the metrics to find out, you know, what are we really trying to do here? Because uh, some companies can get too far into the weeds when they really don't need to. Uh, So let the metrics lead what what those activities look like and find the tools that are going to support, you know, the people and the processes that you need to carry out for your specific production environment. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that, Dave. Uh, Dave, what would be your closing advice, please? Absolutely.
5: uh, To kind of uh, mirror what everyone else is saying, Um, there isn't a specific tool that is going to come in and help solve all of your problems. Um, At the very core, scheduling is kind of all of the items that you are currently, uh, all of the items that you currently have. You need to understand how long processes take for each of your finished goods uh, that you go ahead and leverage the knowledge of and the people that you have before you go start looking for a tool.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. Bob, closing advice, please.
5: Tie it all together. Analyze,
6: adjust, analyze, adjust, analyze, adjust, analyze, adjust, right? To all the things, people's processes, machines, work orders, bombs, material, calendars, schedules, everything. Just got to be in it, working it, working it, it, working it.
2: all right. Amazing. Thank you so much. So that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our Digital Transformation Series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another topic and a panel on that note. Thanks, everyone, for your time and insights tonight.
3: Thanks, everyone. Have
0: a
2: great thanks thanks day, everyone. everybody. Thanks, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully, you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the thechrysler.club. It's T H E C R Y S L E R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Dave Griffith, head over to dave-griffith.com. It's D-A-V-E hyphen dot com. If you want to learn more about Bob Feathers, head over to bindable.com. It's B-I-N-D-A-B-L-E dot com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garradini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's C U R N K E Y T E C.com. If you want to learn more about Mark Lilly, head over to Lilyworks.com. It's LillyWorks.com. It's L I L L Y W O R K S.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Dave Griffith. Who discusses why manufacturers must look for low-hanging fruits when exploring the path of Industry 4.0. Also, the interview with Martin Davis, who discusses the strategies to improve your manufacturing facilities capacity and increase the overall equipment effectiveness of your equipment. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you. And I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS podcast. Thank
1: you for listening to another episode of the WBS podcast.